Great to be with you guys. I'm going to leave a good bit of space for questions uh, along the way, and like, like questions actually, like all of us all together. Uh, but was asked to like speak on apologetics, and even like more than just like kind of like an introduction to apologetics. But even within that, I think very often apologetics gets kind of like reduced or like kind of boiled down to like laying out like a coherent defense or explanation of the faith. And like that is like good and like very important. And that is what it is. But just to expand a little bit more, um, and I've, for those of some of y'all that like are tech, are tech have heard this story before, but I think sometimes we actually skip over the method of God the way that God actually works in our life. And I think that that's really crucial is actually like, what is God's method in our life? And the thing that really like switched this over for me was a couple of years ago, there was one of those like angry street creatures that was like a, like a, you got a going to hell sign. And I like, I'm kind of like deeply moved by those guys just because of their like courage, you know, like there's something kind of brave about it, even though I think that it's like a terrible thing, right? And like really aggressive and not helpful. But I like, I, I went up to this guy and I was like, how did you like come to know Jesus? And it was fascinating. He told me this like very beautiful story of he actually been a drug addict in Chile and this family like loved on him and took him in and like took care of him and helped him get clean and introduced him to Christ and all of these things and he decided to like give his life and then become like a street evangelist and I was like so knocked down in this sense I was like hold on a second let me get this straight like the way that like you met Christ was by this family that just like took you in and loved on you and the way that you're desiring to like share this with others is by like yelling at people in the street like there's a disconnect here you know like, and he, and he was like, oh, you know, uh, it, was, it was fascinating. But you see the, the disconnect there between like the way that God broke into his life and then the way that he was actually desiring to transmit that to others. So I think it's crucial when we talk about apologetics and actually like how to articulate the faith that we kind of get at the method of God. Right. And the method of God from the very beginning, from like John chapter one is Andrew and John, when they hear John the Baptist pointing and saying, behold the Lamb of God, and they follow him pointing, even though no one else does, uh, like they say to him, teacher, he says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for, right? He asks them a question. What do you desire? And then they say, like, teacher, where are you staying? And he says, like, come and see. Come and stay with me. Come and share life with me. And it says, like, they remembered the exact hour. It was four in the afternoon. Like, they remembered the exact moment. They remembered the time, right, that they, like, met this man. To the point where immediately afterwards, Andrew goes to Peter and says, we have met the Messiah. But you see that there is, like, like Jesus' first question to them is, like, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And I think, like, this is really important even to understand with apologetics of the way that you would articulate certain truths of the faith would actually depend upon like where the person is at and like kind of their position because I would I would think like and I would argue that the way that you would articulate certain truths of the faith to kind of like a hardline Protestant right who wants to know where everything is based on the Bible would be very different from an agnostic right who if you use scripture quotes with them that would be like not convincing and not helpful at all but we almost think of it as like what is like the like perfect line the perfect explanation that i give to like every single person i just learn the like responses 
like a telemarketer and then done, right? And that's actually not what apologetics actually is. And even from the very beginning when we heard like the apologia of St. Justin Martyr, like a second century saint who wrote an, apo an apology, apologetics to the emperor, which you can find free online, and it's not very long at all, but actually you get one of the like shortest explanations of the Eucharist from the second century. You can find it online at the Apology of St. Justin Martyr. But he's explaining to the emperor who thinks that the Christians are cannibals and that are also being like, and he also thinks that they're just like, like the cult of Mithras and all the other religions, or that they're just like a Jewish sect. And he's explaining to the emperor specifically why Christians like shouldn't be treated the way that they are being treated. But he's writing to a specific person within a specific circumstance. So even with apologetics, like there's this kind of like multifold thing here where first of all, like what is the person's position? Like why are they asking? Like what's going on with them? And then how do I actually like articulate this to them in a way that they can understand? And that's not like watering down the faith or making it lukewarm, but like imagine if you ask someone a question and they answer your question in the most like poetically excellent, like perfect way, but they do it in Mandarin. Like that's great, but unless you speak Mandarin, it's not going to be super helpful. We even talk about like from the beginning of John's gospel, like the word became flesh, right? The word became communicable. Like, God communicates himself to man through the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. So there's always this thing of, like, this isn't even a word, but, like, communicability, right? Of, of the way that God communicates to us. And it's always from someone to someone. And so, like, it's actually, like, and I, that's why I'm very curious about questions, because even, uh, like, I had a wedding recently, and I had, like, like the questions that were being asked were, were really, really interesting fascinating. So I'd be curious to even hear like the people that y'all share life with, like the way that they frame questions and what they're in front of. Because I'm noticing like people that are becoming incredibly more and more like spiritual and interested in that. But it, there's always this sense of uh, like, it's like, yeah, like you need some sort of religiosity, but like you shouldn't be like pinned down. And I'm like, that's really fascinating. But like, I can't just love in general like, I need, like, actually, like, a particular person. Like, a father is not a father to everyone. Like, it's their specific kids. Like, we are actually educated through particularity, through specific people, right? Um, and so, actually, like, yeah, the, like, vagueness of kind of, like, modern religiosity, like, you can't really be loved by that. Um, it actually, like, needs a particular face. But I'm kind of skipping ahead. There was one, like, kind of, one particular experience I had that highlighted a lot of these things for me. I was actually, I was flying back from a wedding in Italy, and uh, I was like, usually like, I, I'm in clerics whenever I fly, just as like, uh, even though people don't really believe I'm a priest, but like, uh, in case like someone does, uh, like someone does want to go to confession or just be like a presence, I'm, I'm always in my clerics, but in this time someone had been like, I was flying through uh, Turkey, and they were like, listen, like just in case, like just don't wear like clerics like on that particular leg of the flight. So I was in plane clothes, and I was sitting next to this guy on the plane. It's four in the morning in Milan, and we're flying to uh, Turkey and then to Atlanta. And the guy next to me introduces himself and starts talking, and he's this male model. Uh, and I have like no idea because I don't know anything about that life, you know. But like, uh, but we start like talking and everything. And I find out what he does, and like he finds out that like I'm a priest, and we just start talking. 
And we had this like beautiful conversation. And even though my plan was like to sleep, we talked like all the way, like we talked all the way through the flight. And then we hung out in the airport in Turkey. And then like he was flying to Atlanta as well. And then we were planning on like, we were sitting, we got lunch together, breakfast, whatever it was. And then we're like planning for our next flight. And he started to share with me uh, he was like just he was a, a, he grew up Mormon and uh, like began to like really struggle with a lot of things and then started to see in like his mind a lot of like hypocrisy and inconsistencies in like a lived way but then also in the like theology he had a lot of questions and he's like started to get into the party scene and like drifted off and he was saying to me he was like just this week I was asking the question is there a God he's like because I had this photo shoot in photo shoot in Milan and like I made it. He's like, I made it. Like, I have, like, what I wanted. I finally made it, and I'm doing this, and I get to be, like, with all of these women. He was very honest about all that. I was like, hold on, you don't, like, why are you telling me this? But he was very, very honest. And, but he was like, but, like, I feel like something is missing. And I, I was like, okay, this is the, like, objective point where, like, God is working in his life. And so I was like, look, like, whatever that, like, point of missing is, like, be faithful to that. Right? Like reality is telling you something. You try things your way and it isn't working, right? And it's actually like not making you happy. And this generates a question in you in front of that. Is there a God? Like follow that. Take that seriously. And it was very clear to me that he, like the, uh, like Christ was objectively working in his life through that specific point. He has everything and yet he feels like completely empty inside. And it's like really fascinating. Why is it that like, you have this guy who is like a male model that I assume is good looking. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about him. You know, I think shorts are great. You know, like, uh, and he's like living the life, traveling all over the world, and he like feels miserable. And hearing this like goofy looking priest, and I'm like real happy. You know, like it was like this, and we were both like in front of this fact together. So we're in the airport uh, at our gate, and as we're talking, these two guys hear us talking. And he's asking me all kinds of questions and telling me some things about Mormonism. And, and he's asking me questions of the Bible and all these things. And these two guys come up and they're like, hey, can we talk to you guys? And I was like, sure, yeah. And they introduce themselves and they're these two guys that are college students that are like Baptist missionaries. They're getting back from doing mission work. And then they start to like talk to the guy that I'm talking to. And they started to kind of get aggressive and they were trying to get him to like accept Jesus right at that moment. And they were like, whoa, whoa, bro, like, you don't believe that Jesus died for you? And I watched him get, like, lock, lock up, like, immediately get uncomfortable. And, uh, like, and, and they started to, like, pepper him with questions and then talk about, like, the need for, like, him to, like, accept Jesus. And I'm getting, like, and now we're in, like, a different, we got split up, and I'm just getting, like, more and more, like, angry and, like, praying. And I'm like, like, he would, like, we were getting somewhere and, ruining this you know so uh we get split up but these guys the baptist missionaries are like uh a row behind me and to the left and they have an empty seat between them and i'm like and i like i was just so like upset right and the lord was like go talk, go talk to them so i walked up and i was like hey guys like at some because but i was too mad at that moment right uh i was like hey guys like at some point on the flight like can i talk to you guys like i'd love to hear you guys' story and they were like, yeah, absolutely. So I waited like hours because I needed to like pray and like, calm down, a little bit of wine, <laughs> and, uh, just like settle, you know? So then I came over and I sat in the middle of them in that like one seat between all of them. I was like, tell me like you guys' story. Like, tell me who you are. 
And they shared with me, like, very, very beautifully their story. And I've been, like, so mad at them. Uh, but they were, like, they're just these, like, young college guys that, like, love Jesus and think that, like, this is the way to do it. It's, like, you need to get them to, like, accept Jesus, like, right there at that moment. When, again, in their life and in their story, it took a long time, right? And it wasn't ever, like, an action of violence, but was, like, the introduction of something that answered the needs of the heart. And so, like, I actually, like, they asked me questions, like, we talked about purgatory, we talked about all kinds of stuff, right? But then I shared them, I was like, look, guys, just for what it's worth, like, that guy over there, like, you guys never asked him his story. And his question right now isn't about Jesus. His question is, is there a God? And we, like, can't do violence to the person by trying to, like, force particular things uh, and think that we're, like, being brave and, like, being martyrs when we aren't actually, like, communicating to the person and striving to, like, know them and love them, Right? Uh, like, first is, like, knowing the person and also, like, knowing the truth and then it becoming communicable in our own flesh and blood. And they actually, like, received it really, really well. And then we, like, prayed together. And then I, like, went back to my seat and talked to the German guy next to me, right? And, like, that was my flight. Um, but, like, I, I was just so struck by uh, the difference. And not only that, but in front of their, like, the way that they were in front of it, my gut reaction was to, like, judge them and reduce them. And I needed to, to, like, hear their story and hear the way that God was working in their life just like he was working in this other guy's life. Um, so I, I think that that like, kind of uh, just shows, like, the need to be in front of the particular person. So there's kind of, like, two, three, uh, like, a few, like, preliminary points with this is, like, first of all, like, I have to make a journey, right? Going back to, like, the method of God. Like, am I following him? Am I able to recognize the way that he is working in my life? Do I know the faith in such a way to where I can articulate it to others? I'll offer some, like, texts that I think that are, like, helpful with this, some books that might be helpful. Um, But that's, like, the first, there's, like, kind of three parts I would say, like, the apologetics is, like, knowing the faith ourselves, uh, like being able to understand it and articulate what it is and why for ourselves, and then actually being able to articulate it to another within their given circumstance, right? And I like, um, especially COVID was really fascinating because like at at Georgia Tech, like we were the only place still doing like in-person worship. We were doing it safely and everything. We like never had any problems, but like all of the other like Churches weren't weren't having it, and so there were a number of like non-Catholics that have been coming to mass and are still coming to mass because they wanted to like worship in person, and they've had like lots of questions, and it's been interesting. I think first to always ask somebody kind of like why does this in particular strike you, or like why is this your question? Because that's interesting. And I remember being at a specific uh, talk and this woman asking a question about faith and science, and in my mind I'm like, come on, like faith and science don't. But the, the, the speaker, like, very simply was just like, why do you ask? And she was like, well, like, I'm a pharmacist, and I feel like these, like, fragmented things in my life, and I want to, to know that, like, neither part of my life is a waste. So you see, like, there's something deeper underneath that. Sometimes we forget to ask, like, why, why do you ask? Or even to think about why is this particular person asking this specific question? Not to, like, skip over that step, right? You're always speaking to someone. And I think we actually feel the difference when someone is just like uh, reading, a, reading like a prompt instead of actually like speaking to us. Uh, 
Other part of this is then actually like we need to know like what the church teaches, and not only that, but why, and to know the historical context as well. And I actually think the historical part is really important. And a number of the like Protestants that I've seen have converted uh, have been because they start to like read the church fathers, because they start to read like Justin of Martyr and Ignatius of Antioch and Clement and like all those cats. Like they start to read them and start to see like the continuity, and uh, because. I remember actually very distinctly a, uh, a passion conference where uh, they brought in this like light into the center and they said, imagine if that light, this like lantern, imagine if that lantern is the actual presence of God, the actual presence of Jesus. And my friend was like, oh, I, I think we already have something like that, you know? Like, <laughs> but you see that there's like a, there's a lack of like memory and a lack of like sense of like history. So understanding the historical context of things and the development of things is really important. And I would argue even like kind of push that more in like dialogue with our Protestant brothers and sisters. Like there's always this thing of kind of like going back to the Bible and we need to like know our stuff and be able to articulate things from the Bible. But I'm always trying to push at like the history aspect of it. But along with that, just kind of uh, without going too much into it, is like good theology is also good anthropology in the sense of God became man. So his method is our humanity, right? Like his method is our humanity, and that's the way that he reaches us and changes us. And you'll notice that there's certain like theological ideas that are deeply inhuman. They're inhuman in the sense of they don't correspond with normal everyday life. And just an example, but like kind of like once saved, always saved. Like I think just on like a practical example, like as, as a practical thing, doesn't make any sense because in normal relationships, you can say no to someone and leave them, right? Like, just saying yes to them once doesn't guarantee it, and especially profoundly in marriage, but even in the marriage vow, like, you have to say yes every day. Otherwise, it withers and atrophies, right? So on a practical level, that doesn't work, and I always try to, like, push, like, looking at their experience, because, again, like, that one street preacher who uh, was reached by Christ in a certain way, but the way that he was doing it in another way... He wasn't, like, looking at his experience, right? Like, there was a disconnect there. And there can actually be, like, a disconnect between people's, like, theological ideas and the way that they live life. And that is a problem because, like, that's in some ways, like, the problem with the Pharisees, right? They believe everything of the old law, and yet there is one in front of them that they're actually, like, using their ideas to prevent themselves from seeing the person in front of them. That's like the nature of ideology. Ideology is, is any system of thought that keeps me from looking at reality as it is, right? That prevents me to see things as they are. Uh, so, um, sorry, I lost, I got distracted with ideology, uh, which is like a real problem today, right? Like, and even like we're even kind of worse off with that where we can actually think, I, I remember talking to somebody and asking them a question about a specific circumstances, like when, when have you ever met anybody living the circumstance that's like deeply happy? And I remember she said, actually, like only on now that I think about it, only on television. And I was like, huh, like the people in your experience that are living this like within like the hookup culture, like like the people that are living the experience are unhappy, but you think that it's like a happy thing because of like what you're seeing. Like that's ideology. It's something that keeps me from looking at reality, right? As it is. Uh, so like that is always like a, a threat. 
Yeah, so like the thing, even like the one state always did, but I'll also go to scripture. And so it's good to have those scripture points too. So for instance, like St. Paul talks about one of his like traveling companions being like a follower of Jesus and then being lost. So when you look at that in there, like that tells us something, right? Uh, even like with like faith and works, right? Like uh, first of all, like St. James talking about like faith without works is dead, right? Like you show me faith without works and I'll show you like the faith that under my works, right? But even on like a natural human level, it requires a response. Uh, and you see this in like the the like experience of the disciples around Jesus. I think this is one of the things that we miss most in the world is we think of Christianity as like, uh, oh, like kind of like this grab bag theology of like, this is who Moses is, right? This is who Solomon is. Like this is like the 12 like fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? But the original experience of Christianity was those 12 men gathered around that man. And then like those men and women gathered around that man, right? It was an experience. It was a life, you know? After that, from that, the like understanding like clarified, it became clear, but first and foremost, like it was a life. So I think like even in that, like looking at things from like scriptural, the historical, but then also from the like human experience. Uh, I hope that those points are kind of clear. Just some like helpful books. Um, and again, like I don't think like a book can save us because God became man, right? Uh, but like just some things that like may be helpful in the like initial thing of like knowing church teaching and kind of the why. Um, there's a lots of like introduction of apologetics, and also like there's lots of great like podcasts, websites. Catholic Answers, like Catholic Stuff You Should Know, uh, Scott Hahn, like, G- I, I found, like, for, for people from, like, a, a secular background, G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man and Orthodoxy are really helpful. Uh, Gisani's, like, Monsignor Luigi Gisani's Religion Set, Religious Sense and At the Origin of the Christian Claim, those are a little dense, but especially for those that are, like, philosophically minded and still open, those are texts that are particularly helpful. But even like that, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, I will recommend different books based on where the person is at. Right, you don't throw a calculus book at a child. I mean, you can do that. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, like they'll get there eventually. But you start with basic math, or you start even before that, learning to like read and write basic numbers. Right? Where is the person at? What's the next step? Where is God objectively working in their life? And then like, what's the next step in that? We like skip ahead a lot, and we, it's almost like we desire for the person to be like immediately saved. Or like immediately suddenly like a perfect Catholic saint and that's it. But that's not my experience, right? Like God is like still working on me. And it took like a long, long time. A really long time, right? Years. Years of like wrestling and like struggle. And so that's why I think like being familiar with our own, like really being familiar and having affection for the way that God has worked in my life is crucial. I go when I like have the the like the temptation to impatience in front of others. Like, I don't tell myself be more patient. I am, I am like, reminded by how patient God has been with me, right? Of how, like, frankly, dumb I've been in so many ways. And he has, like, continually given me mercy and, like, like been patient with me. So why wouldn't I, like, out of, like, receiving that, be patient with others? 
But like, again, this is where it's like broken up is to like really pay attention to the way God is working in the life of that person and who they are and what their questions are and why. And then studying for yourself and trying to like figure it out and looking it up. There's, there's another part of this that I think is really fascinating of like there is a difference between a question and a doubt on like a, a human level. A question, which is a good thing, right? Whenever we have questions about the faith, that's a good thing. And it's actually an invitation to actually make a journey, right? A question invites us to look it up, to read something, to follow the provocation. What a doubt does is actually like paralyze us. It paralyzes us in the sense that we begin to interiorly distance ourselves from the faith and be like, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, I don't know. But we're not doing anything about it. So there's this element of paralysis within it. And I've been really fascinated by like, kind of like pushing people to look at their experience of like, all right, you have this question. Have you ever looked this up? And they'll be like, no. I was like, all right. Like, it's okay to have the question, but like, follow it. Take it seriously. Right? Uh, I mentioned before, once you signed, who's been like incredibly helpful in my life. He would always say, like, unless you have a question or a problem, you're not living dramatically the relationship with Christ. Unless you have a question or a problem, you're not living dramatically the relationship with Christ. And what he meant by that is, if you think about, like, again, when we actually look at our lives, uh, the times when we really changed were when we had a question and we followed it, or when we had a problem, usually with a lot of suffering. But then we began to change. But it's fascinating that in, like, the modern world, like, we try to, like, get rid of our questions and get rid of our problems, and we think the good life is like not having any of those things, right? And the goal of life is almost to like eliminate all the questions and problems. But those are the points where like I am being changed and I like need to be changed. So maybe instead of them being bad, maybe they're like uh, like friends on the road and actually make life like interesting. So like to stay in front of the questions of your life and of like your friends' lives and to pay attention to them and to not shut them down. That's like the other part of this is like, it's really fascinating why Jesus spoke parables, right? Like why did he speak parables? And if you think about it, uh, what a parable does is, is invite somebody to like choose, like you immediately have to make a decision in front of it. Am I gonna think about this? Am I gonna work on it? Am I just gonna give a cheap, easy answer and move on? Am I gonna be like, you tell me? You know, like, like it actually, invites you to make a choice. And someone who thinks about it and works on it is engaging with it with their freedom, right? So part of themselves is involved in it. So Jesus tells parables to actually invite like man's freedom into the history of salvation and for us to like work on things and participate in it. So like you give part of yourself, right? Come and see. It's the same thing. Come and see, right? Follow the mystery. So I think even when we articulate things in apologetics, there should always be an invitation to look further. Like, see for yourself. Look for yourself. Read this for yourself. And whether they choose to respond to it or not, it's up to them, right? Whether the person engages with the parable or not, up to them, right? But that, like, God loves man's freedom. He never saves us without our freedom, right? So part of, like, the way that he, like, invites us and changes us, and therefore others too, is the engagement with freedom. So always to have an invitation to a further step. Uh, I hope that that part is like really clear, uh, like to help people make a step. And then it's revealed too whether or not it's a question or a problem. 
Uh, or I mean, whether or not like it's it's for them a question or a doubt. Are they going to follow it, or is this almost like a paralysis in front of me? Um, again, a few more things that I like resources that I think are helpful is uh, Christianity for Modern Pagans by Peter Kraft is like pretty good of like articulating these things in the modern world. It's it's, it's based a lot on like Pascal stuff. Um, I, I mentioned like religious sense as the origin and why the church. One of the things I think that is most helpful for like many Protestants is this great book called Catholic and Christian by Alan Shrek. And that book in particular, he was a Protestant minister that converted. So he thinks of things from the Protestant mindset and actually explains and articulates them like specifically for that. Right. Um, and so that one is like particularly helpful. Okay, uh, and then also like a good Catholic study Bible to actually like look at the context. A lot of people, especially the Protestants, will like kind of like pull scripture verses, right? Um, one of the interesting things, by the way, historically in the church that I think is always worth not noting is all of the major like heretics in like the first four or five centuries that like argued against the divinity of Jesus or like all of these things, they, they use scripture to argue their point, right? Like they pulled from scripture. Uh, like, yeah, they use scripture to argue their point, right? And so this was actually a problem from the very early days of the church, people like ripping things out of context and then asking like, who has the authority to interpret scripture? Even in Bible Mass, like where did the Bible come from? Like when was it first compiled? Because you see that like the church came before the actual like compilation of the scriptures. Like the earliest canons being, you know, like much, much later on than actually like the history, than that than like the church existing. So, okay, I know that that was kind of a lot and like jumping on, but I thought that these like preliminary points are like really important in even understanding like what is apologetics and even like evangelization and kind of how to do it. But even like, I think the, sim the simplest thing is like what St. Augustine talks about in his like uh, book on catechesis. He's like a good teacher, like loves two things. He loves the material and he loves his students. Same thing. Like, we love the people in front of us, and we, like, pay attention to them first, and then we speak, like, to them. And the, like, communicability of the word happens through our own flesh and blood, and it's always a work. It's always a work, and I think sometimes we want, like, apologetics without actually, like, doing... We, we want to be able to articulate things perfectly so that people are saved, and that's it. Like, give me the, like, easiest way to do that. Um, and that would be, like, a lot easier, but that's, like, not... What Christianity is like God became man. So, okay. Uh, questions about anything as far as like apologetics or like specific things or things that you have seen? Yeah. yeah. So you talked a little bit about why people um, that you've met in the past have become Catholic for various reasons, um, and the answer to this may be as simple as we're just kind of losing the the touch on how encounter Jesus in our life and how we began our story, but do you have any takes on why the opposite may happen, why we lose people as a Catholic Church to these Protestant religions or, you know, religions across Vietnam? Is there something in the apologetics or just evangelization world that we're kind of missing the point as as a church? And yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think a few things, of like, because I talk to a lot of people that have, like, drifted away and just kind of ask, and I even, like, Especially with atheists, I think it's always fascinating to ask, ask the question, not why do you believe, not believe in God, but like when did you first begin to not believe in God? Because what that very often like reveals is something that happened 
that like threw everything up in the air very often. But I think a few things. First of all, people like that live in an automatic way in front of the faith, right? Uh, that in, especially when like in, in America we have all of these options, right, and all of these things. Why would you do something that that seems difficult and has no purpose, right? If the problem of like salvation is just like saying yes to God, then like go be like a Unitarian and just like do whatever you want, you know? Like why do all of these things? So to see like life lived in an automatic way, uh, like that that does something. I think uh, people not really engaging or being afraid of uh, real questions. That was the difficulty for me when I was really struggling with things. Is it seems like I was asking questions and like nobody could answer them, or they were almost afraid to look at those questions themselves. Uh, and that made me like cynical about religious people in the sense that it seemed like they weren't really engaging in life. Um, one of the things that made like that like caused me to really follow like Father Jasani and be so moved by him is he would because it seemed like in my life like my friends that were like out in the world were asking real questions but they seemed lost and like my friends that were living the Catholic faith like believed what I believed and yet they seemed to use it as a way to hide from reality. And my question, even though I couldn't even name it at that time, was like, is there a people that are both like uh, believing like the truth and like living life? And when I met, like when I encountered like Father Jasani and like, like the people that are like connected to him, I saw people that both like believed the faith and were not afraid of reality and were like joyful. And, and that really generated like something incredibly hopeful of me of like, oh, you can live like this, right? This isn't like a, a pious prison, uh, which is I think how a lot of people see it. There's a bunch of factors, right? And the other part is, it's actually like in some ways a, uh, we have to be patient with people in the sense of like an immaturity in front of life, or like, like because somebody, it's insane in my mind, like just because people use language to lie, to just be like, I'm not gonna use language anymore. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You need to communicate, right? And people, like, almost in life are, like, uh, because I've seen religiosity lived bad, I'm not going to do it, right? And I get it. Uh, but there is almost a, like, immaturity in that, and we have to, like, walk with people. But people, like, again, like, I think part of it is people feel like their questions are not being taken seriously and, like, not being engaged with. Um, there's there's a, a bunch of factors, and I don't want to like boil it down and reduce. I think the interesting question is paying attention and asking why, and also what causes me to like drift away. You know, I think we have to like really honestly ask ourselves that. I think lack. I think the, the other part is, and actually, thank you because I didn't get a chance to read this, but like someone like right, it was just says these days, as in the times of Jesus, less people are interested in who is right, but how can one live. Uh, he would say, like, today, as in the time of Jesus, people are less interested in who is right and how can one live? How can you live in the modern world? So even, like, if you think about, like, for my friends very on that, like, left the Catholic faith and went to, like, big box church, like, 12 sons and everything like that, they, they talked about, like, they appreciated the, like, worship, but it was, like, helpful for their life, right? It didn't seem distant from their humanity. But whatever it is about that, right, like, I'm not saying we go to that, but I think, like, a lot of people are less interested in like who is right and they just desire help in like living life. And so like we have to ask this question like are we helping people to like be in front of their life? Uh, I actually think like that's probably one of like the biggest things. Um, 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, completely. And the other part is, is like, sorry, one last thing that I think is like crucial is uh, this uh, Father William Crone said once, he said, like, unless, unless Jesus is a presence to me right now, we're just angry people that say the right things. And I think about that a lot of like, there's a particular like branch of Catholicism that just seems angry about everything. And whether they're right or not, and like some things like genuinely right about things in the church, but like that's not helpful for my life, right? And it's almost like being a good Catholic is like being outraged at the right things. But the experience of the apostles is everything is against them and they are like filled with the Holy Spirit and moved, right? And like they know that reality is not against them. So I think like that, like Christ needs to be a constant presence and I think a, a particular like rant, like form of Catholicism that believes like a lot of like really true things and knows this stuff, and yet it's distant from life, is like really problematic. And I think that that actually does like more damage than people think. But also people not like uh, taking seriously the faith and kind of just like going along with the things of the world is like just damage, just as damaging. So there's lots of factors in this. I don't want to like reduce that, but those are things that I've seen. I think sometimes when it comes to apologetics, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the fact that like we feel like we have to be able to answer the questions. And you know, I mean, like me for example, like I went to Catholic school for my entire life. You know, and I, I knew a lot of things, but when it came down to like being in the conversation and you know getting pinned, being like, oh, you have to go to like provide this answer. You know, how much of apologetics is not necessarily knowing the answers, but also being able to like, like you're saying, articulate into reality, like, how we are supposed to live it. You know, like, if if we're out there living our Catholic lives and actually, like, on fire about it, is that going to help us be a more effective, you know, evangelizer than just knowing everything? And even the, like, journey of truth, like, I think we need to be called to, like, be friends with them and be like, I'm not sure, let's look it up together. Or, like, if you're interested, like, let's read this thing together. Right. right? And make it actually an opportunity for friendship. Yeah. Um, and to even have the humility to be like, Look, like, I, people want, like, a simpler faith, and, like, there is space for that within the Catholic Church, like, thank God, uh, for, like, people that are, like, super over, you know, like, like, there's space for that, but we're also called to, like, invite people, look, like, it's a life, like, it's a whole life, like, my, my friends that went to, like, Protestant seminary, like, they went to Bible school, right, uh, we were studying, like, philosophical anthropology and medical ethics and all these because like it touches all of life right like God became man like all of life matters so we need like engage with all of these things so it's a lot and it's a lot more complicated so we also need to have the like space to be like I don't know like let's look this up together right like let's make a journey together but you're like you're absolutely right For someone who has kind of like fallen away from the Catholic faith, but they're your family member and you're like close with them and you're trying to do all the things that you said, like being gentle, um, walking with them, what do you do when they don't really have questions and they're very lukewarm? Like, because with this family member, I've tried to find the most beat around the bush ways possible to ask. Are you really happy with your life right now? Um, how do you like find the strength to keep being patient when someone's suffering and like ask the right questions the right way? 
Yeah, I think like we have to be like co-sufferers in some way, and like, there's there's more to be said about that. But the other thing, I think especially with family, it's complicated because they know, like very often our family gets the worst of us, you know, because it's family, and so uh, it's that makes it particularly difficult. I have found helpful praying that they meet Christ through someone else, and what I mean by that is we almost like put all this like pressure on us. You know that like I have to be the one to like save them, or like 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 Christ has to like work through me in order for this to happen. But like God works how He wants to work. So I, I found it helpful to be like God, like please meet them, please save them, but through someone else. Like I'm I'm available, but like uh, like that way like our like almost like pride or like that this happens through us is like out of the way. But it's also like a deep act of trust. I'm so moved by. Uh, how little like Jesus did in the sense of like there are a ton of times in scriptures where they're like everyone is looking for you and he says let's go to the next town right like Jesus lives a profound limitedness in some way you know like he only does the will of the Father and he doesn't go past that and so part of this in front of our like, family and friends is like patience and that like God plays the long game Flannery O'Connor says like I believe love to be efficacious in the long said it just like that. But it's long game, right? And so think about like the good thief on the cross, right? Like the good thief on the cross. Like that always makes me laugh. Like he was stealing sandwiches. He was a murderer, you know? Uh, like a whole life of like evil. A whole life of evil. And at the end of his life like, he ran away from God in such a profound way that the only way that God could reach him is if they're both nailed down next to each other, right? But he, like, looks with sincerity at Jesus and says, like, uh, like, this man is innocent, like, remember me. And Jesus says, like, this day you will be with me in paradise, right? Like, we are, like, called to, like, bring Christ to the whole world, but also recognizing that there is this profound mystery of time, and there are some people that will only be, like, reached by, like, at the, the end of their life and like that's okay like we offer like everything for him and we're the ones that are like lucky enough to like know him now with this like yearning that others will be able to like meet him and respond to him when it can happen the other thing is is like very often like Christ, like Christ breaks in through the crisis so sometimes we just have to like keep being with them and paying attention for when the crisis happens and then stay with them in that because that's usually what opens us up So one of my best friends is agnostic and she usually frames her disbelief in like purely intellectual terms. And one day I decided to like press her on that. And she said like, I've prayed and I've been to church a lot and I've never like encountered God. Like I've never felt that there was anything on the other end of that. And so like I thought about that and prayed about that a lot. And I think that she actually does believe in God, but is just like resentful towards what she feels as like lack of connection and lack of care. Um, and so my question is like, how much of that do you think there is? Like how much of disbelief do you think is just like the feeling of a lack of connection? And then also like, what is a good way to respond to that like perceived lack of encounter when someone like brings that up to you? Like when someone is like, I just have never felt that anything is there. Like what is a good response to that? One of the most difficult things, and this isn't just with God, this is actually with like people as well, is uh, shattering a false idea, 
right? If someone has like a false idea of you and they're talking to that, it's very difficult for like the real person to come through. As soon as we like put someone with within a box, like we've reduced them, we've like filed them away, right? And like it's like, oh, like this author, like I'm not gonna listen to anything they say, and you immediately dismiss it, right? And that's fine, but then like they can't speak any truth to you, right? So the, again, it's almost like a, this is a problem of like ideology, like imposing upon reality. A lot of people, whether they realize they do this or not, do this upon God. Like they have an image of God that they have created of like an angry old man in the sky, raining blows down upon them, and then like a little bit of affection, and then raining blows upon them, right? And then like, yeah, that guy doesn't exist, right? But anytime like like God is brought up, like that image comes back. And so, uh, like I, I really think like uh, I, I love going to concerts, and like I, for me, like a concert, like musicians is such an experience of religiosity, right? Like that edge of the beauty of music, beauty itself, right? Um, so, but like I, they would never articulate that as like getting to like the hem of the garment. You know, like they, they would never, but like they're still having that experience. So we have to help people to like almost understand their experience. When have they been like most alive? Like what? Because like, I, I think that a lot of people have profound experiences of God, but they don't recognize that for what it is because they have particular ideas and criteria. And like C.S. Lewis writes about this a lot of like God being the great iconoclast where he like destroys our false images. Uh, and like this is part of the work. So I think even like sharing from your own experience what the encounter with God looks like, and so that they can, that can be like recovered through your experience. Uh, yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. There's there's more to be said about this, but like one of the greatest battles is with people's image of things instead of like the reality. Compassion and mercy help to bring them actively. Yeah, absolutely. And people like if and part of like the, the deep compassion is like they need to know that we understand where they're at. Because if you think about when you're a kid and you think about your parents don't understand something, whenever they start to lecture you, you immediately dismiss it because it's like they don't know, right? And even with us, right? Like somebody starts talking, we think they don't know what they're talking about. Our brain just like shuts down. So one of the difficult, or one of the really important things, and it's a lot of work, is making sure that like they know that we like are with them and understand them and are trying to understand them, and that's the like compassion and it's a mercy, and it's also exhausting, right? Uh, like it is, it is like the greatest like sacrifice to like give of oneself to like recognize a presence to be in front of them. And even then, like recognizing our capacity to like attack our idea of what they're saying instead of what they're actually saying. Yeah. What's kind of, it doesn't have to be like the biggest mistake that you see, but what's kind of a big mistake that you see in terms of like when other cat the likes or people you work with try to, you know, have these conversations with people of other Christian faiths. Do you think it's like an egoistic thing of like, oh, look at this full knowledge of the truth that I have that you don't? Do you think it's starting in kind of the wrong spot with them and not meeting them where they're at as a combination of those uh, things? Because I've seen a lot of Catholic friends of mine talk a lot of Catholic friends of mine specifically about 
when they said, oh, well, I told this Protestant friend to mine this, and it's like three or four layers deep, and it's yeah. like, well, you can't start there. They're, it's not their fault. They're not going to understand that just because they, I mean, that's not how they were raised. It might not be the same way that you were. Like, is there one specific thing that you see, um, or I guess one thing that kind of repetitively pops up, if that makes sense? It's twofold. It's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think the first is we don't live with, like, gratitude in front of the faith. And so it is this, like, oh, they don't know anything. But it's like, how, how would they know, you know? Like, how, how would they know? Like, part of the difficulty in Protestantism is that it lacks memory. It lacks memory in the sense of, like, like they, uh, like, dealing even today with, like, questions of, like, images, and they're, like, arguing about it. It's like, huh, like, we dealt with that in, like, the 5th or 6th century, you know? Um, but, like, we have the great gift of the history of the church, right? Like, we have been given this, like, tremendous gift of, like, all of those before us that have wrestled with these things. So uh, I don't think that we live with, like, enough gratitude in front of our faith that this is, like, a huge gift. And many people that are, like, brilliant in the, like, Protestant world have, like, struggled with these things, like, on our own. And even, even seeing some of my friends them like, really wrestling with ideas. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I knew that, like... It's junior year of high school, you know? And it's not because, like, I'm smart or good. It's because, like, the church is, like, so good, right? So, yeah, like, pride is a real problem. The other thing is, is, like, again, what is their, their actual question and why and addressing that, right? And not the, like, jumping around or things like that. I remember sitting with uh, this, like, this guy who, who wanted to be a seminary, different diocese, different place, right? And he was talking to this waitress about, like, the importance of ember days, and which is like kind of an obscure thing of like in the in the tradition of church, and it's a great thing, right? But this woman just wants to serve him food, and like like wants to know who God is, and he's like insisting upon this. And it's like, whoa, whoa we gotta like get to the essential, right? So yeah, like it's twofold. Like it can be like our pride instead of like gratitude, but also we can be like super defensive and not pay attention to what are they asking. Listen to like, not that I recommend it, some of it's like kind of inappropriate, but like 
the, the last two of Mike Birbiglia's comedy specials are all about like not wanting to get married and like not wanting to have kids and why those things have been difficult and have been a gift. The whole thing is about him grappling with that. And he's like 41, 42, right? Like he's actually like, they thought that they were like way ahead of the game and the church was behind and they don't even realize it yet like that like the church is actually like way ahead. And so we have to kind of like recognize this and also kind of make the journey as well. Why does the church teach this, right? What is it saying about our humanity, right? Especially like with the hot button, hot button issues, like we need to like really like, we need to know what the church teaches, but then also we need to look at human experience, right? Like just talking about even like my friends that like grapple in the world of like, and, and this is like really messy and complicated, right? Even the language of like homosexuality, same-sex attraction, all that. Like, there's a lot more that can be said about that. But my friends that like dig into the life are like really unhappy, right? And so my, my thing in front of them is like, does this give what it promises? What are you seeking? There's much more that can be said about this, right? But um, you see the like two extremes are either uh, like you're bad and going to hell and like nobody's like, Hopefully people aren't like saying it that way. Or like do whatever you want. And like neither one is actually looking at the experience and making it journey. Right. Again, like even like with like pro, like pro-life, pro-choice, things like that, people are talking past each other where it's like the baby, the woman. And it's like, well, like, let's look at the whole thing because like a lot of the people that I've walked with in that, like all of them have like deeply regretted what happened there. Right? So like let's look at this experience. Let's look at it. So, but again, like, we have to make a journey and like really look at these things honestly and come to understand why, not just theologically, but on the human level. And then we need to invite people to like look at their human experience. I know sin is wrong, not just because the church tells me, but because I've sinned and it's like not worked, right? And it doesn't give what it promises, you know? And so like, I don't need anybody to tell me because like reality doesn't lie if I look at it honestly. So with a lot of people in these things, like it's like, all right, like, let's look at this honestly. Right? Does this work? And for even like with like vague spirituality, uh, it's like okay, like that's great, but uh, that's like an idea can't challenge you the way that a real person can. Uh, and so even with that, it's like yeah, like actually my friend just said this morning. She's like, yeah, your crystals can't love you. You know, like like that's nice. Like you can do that, but they can't love you, right? Like, uh, and that that's at the heart of it is like. People don't like feel love through like vague religiosity, right? Like it's 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 one who is like looking them in the eyes the way that Jesus looked at Magdalene. So like in real experience, we don't learn through vague stuff, right? It is like a person in front of us. So like even with that, but like uh, what I'm interested in with that and walking with those people is that like the heart cries out actually for like God to reveal Himself in a tangible way. So it's like, what if he did reveal himself in a real way? There's a lot more that can be said about that, but that's kind of like the beginnings of both of those things. But we have to like walk that road very honestly. Does that make sense? So how do we respond to Catholics who kind of use the like, don't judge Bible verse as an excuse to basically just abandon all standards where they kind of think, oh, well, being Catholic means we need to love everyone. But like, that kind of means they ignore sin. Like, I know people who are Catholic, but who say, like, oh, well, I personally wouldn't have an abortion myself, but it, I, it's, it's not my place to tell other people what they can and can't do. Like, how do we respond to that with a good mix of, like, mercy and compassion, but also being firm and calling sin for what it is? 
yeah, we have to, like the good thing is, is that, like, again, we have to invite them to look at their experience, and, like look at reality, right? Because people can believe all kinds of things, but then when they have children in front of their children, they start to even reevaluate the music that they're listening to because their kids start to repeat it, right? Like in the reality, right? Like, like even we can say like, do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, but like whenever my niece tried to eat the dishwasher tablet, I didn't appeal to her reason. You know what I mean? Like, like, I snatched it out of her hand, right? She still ate a part of it, but it was fine. Uh, second time I had to call poison control that week. Uh, uh, but, but you see what I mean? Like, I understand, like, the Old Testament makes so much sense to me by, like, hanging out with my nieces and nephews and seeing my parents, or my, my siblings, trying to discipline them because they're, like, children, right? And their, like, awareness is extremely limited. And so you have to be like extremely firm and very clear. And sometimes you have to act quickly and that scares the kid because they don't understand. And if you look at the Old Testament of like God working with humanity, which is acting like a child, like and, and slowly growing up and using like simple context, it, it makes perfect sense. Even some of the like more like aggressive, like things that almost seem violent, like it makes sense when you're in front of children, right? Uh, because again, you're not like, oh, like I'll just let you like let the ladder fall on the kid. Like you rush, you know what I mean? So we have to invite people to like really look at their experience with this because like when, it, when you're in front of like a, a, when you're in a relationship uh, or in front of kids or whatever, like the question is like, all right, like just love them. What does it mean to love them? And that introduces all sorts of things, right? Because if I say like, you know, happy father, happy mother's day, here's a ham, that's not necessarily loving my mother well. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's kind of a weak, you know? Like, like, even with that, we think of like, what is a good gift for her, right? People talk about like love languages and everything like that, but like love is like, like you have to actually know the other person, right? So to say like, um, yeah, the other, the other part of that as well is like what C.S. Lewis talks about, it, like if you have a starving man, like really, really emaciated, and you're like, oh, I need to feed him, I need to help him, and you feed him like all these thick foods, like he'll die, right? Because like you need to start with liquids. So because you don't know reality, you've killed someone, like you've done damage, right? Not you, but you right? Uh, <laughs> but like, like this is a part of it as well, is to actually love people, to be like, I love my child, so you know, yeah, like drink the antifreeze, like whatever you want, which food we have, right? They will die, right? Like, like, we actually have to, like, know reality. And so there's something in there that, like, doesn't hold and doesn't make sense with those things. Where it's like, yeah, like, do whatever you want, but then it does, like, profound damage. Maybe we, like, don't actually know what we mean by sin. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, that God is always, like, breaking through through reality, right? The only way that evil can separate us from God is by separating us from reality. So, like, with those things, like, people can believe those things, but the more they're actually, like, in front of their life, like, So I had an experience this past year at school where the Aquinas Center at Emory, which is ostensibly a Catholic group there, brought in a, a lecture. Her name was Dr. Emily Reimer-Berry. And she gave a lecture. It was titled about like beyond pro-life, pro-choice. And I was like, oh, cool. I love this issue. I want to go see what she has to say. And in this lecture, she argues for an hour and a half that we shouldn't make abortion illegal. If we were going to do that, we need all these political programs or social programs. And even then, I still wouldn't make it illegal. She, she never once said abortion is wrong, we shouldn't be encouraging people to do this, or we should be giving out contraceptives, these sorts of things. And so 
it made my blood boil listening to that for an hour and a half where she refuses to even concede that abortion itself is wrong. So when we have like uh, established professors with PhDs or politicians that are deliberately misinterpreting the faith in what we know to be the truth, especially in like what we understand as like authoritative Catholic teaching, and then they distort it and are leading tons of people away from the faith. What what do we do from from that point when when Catholic politicians want so to say abortion is okay? G.K. Chesterton says that an error is always a truth gone mad, right? So whenever there's an error, there's always like a truth within it that's like gone too far. So we need to understand like what is the truth that she is pointing at? What's the thing that she's emphasizing that's really important? Like, are you able? Like, do you know what that is? Like, how can you articulate what that is? She was focused on compassion towards the woman to such a degree that I felt that the, the fetus inside her wasn't even a, a topic for conversation. She was pushing for political programs, like after the birth, we need these programs in this position, and we need these contraceptives available, and all of that, except it didn't seem to even be about abortion at that point. And I, I, would, I would argue that like her point would be that like part of being pro-life is that like like after the babies are born, we have to like help them and support them. And so like part of like being a good like Catholic is like walking with people in that. And for some people, right, like they, for a lot of people that I know, they really struggle with this because they have like, they see people in like really, really difficult, really difficult situations and nobody's helping them, right? Nobody seems to be helping them. And so they're like, pro-life people are hypocrites because they're like, have all the babies be born, but we're not gonna help you, right? So, like, that part is, like, like, there is something true that she is saying, but you're right, like, she's missing something essential. But we can't dialogue with her unless you affirm the true thing and be like, we're on the same page with that, now let's also talk about this. Otherwise, we'll continually talk past each other. It's the same problem, the woman or the baby, right? But, like, there is something within the what she's saying that's actually, like, very true. Like, are we actually helping people in these difficult situations? Because I think even if we think about our own experiences of sin, most people sin more out of weakness than malice, and they give in to stuff because they feel trapped, right? So again, like everything you're saying, like absolutely true, right? Like that is that is a person, right? But like even in dialoguing with others, like we have to be like, what is the truth within what they're saying that has like, and do we know where it's gone awry? Does that make sense? Yeah. Structural things and stuff with like the church organization and things like that, like. That's a, a bigger question, right? But I, the most helpful thing for me is like my friend Father Jose Medina. Someone was asking about like things in the church and everything. He's like, that. he's like, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not very interested in church politics because I need to be graced by God. And I was like, yeah, like that 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 makes sense to me. Like I need to be graced by God. And so like the people in my life that like struggled with these things when I was in like an immigrant parish, like what they needed, yeah, we need like legislative and we need to like be actually consistently like pro-life and like we need to like make abortion illegal but we also need to do everything that we can to like help and support people the real people that are in those difficult situations make sense
that sometimes they, we are going to offend people, but that doesn't give us an excuse to be offensive. And I think like there has been even like a, a vein within the church where it's like we're going to be martyrs and speak the truth, and people end up sounding like dirtbags. You know what I mean? Like so, like that's not what we're going for. Um, we have to work on it and like think about it. And sometimes, yeah, it requires like speaking the truth, right? But there's always like, and we have to be willing to do that. But it's also like also good news in the sense of uh, I was really struck when my really close friends uh, got married in a, in, a, in a Lutheran church, and uh, it was like a valid marriage. Like when there were things with her family and everything like that. But when we we're at the Lutheran church, I didn't find out that like uh, they were they were offering like communion, and it was really fascinating because they were basically like everyone like will receive communion, right? And I came up and was like, hey, like we actually like. Like we don't, we're not in union yet, you know. Like we're not, we're not unified. Like we're not in union. So like we actually, like Catholics can't receive communion. And she was like, well, like can I have you give up communion? I was like, no, like I can't do that. Like, I can't. Like we're not. Um, and I was like, we please say something for those of us that can't receive because we're not unified yet, right? We're not unified. That's a reality. And at the wedding, she actually went into this long thing about the beauty of like open communion and open table and everybody being able to receive. And uh, I remember, like, it was a commotion, me stepping aside to not receive. And I was really struck by, like, people think, like, the church's teaching of, like, if we're not, like, worthy, we're not, if we're not able to receive, we can't receive. And people just, like, can't receive. Um, but I think, like, the unity of appearance is a lot easier than real unity. You know what I mean? And, like, people almost desire that for us to, like, appear unified altogether. But honestly, like, that's the death of a marriage when people just pretend things are fine and they're actually not. And be like, yeah, we're just going to put on the best face, like, everything's fine. That is, that is the death of a marriage, right? The real, like, healing happens when it's like things are not okay and we're going to name it and we're going to work on it. And that's when things can happen, right? And yeah, like, it may end, like, not good, but there's a possibility of walking a road. So we actually have to articulate these things very honestly in the same way that sometimes a doctor has to say, like, uh, but always with this longing for like deeper unity, and never with like a glee or like a you know take that you know. But like, but with this actual like like we're revealing the disease so that it can be healed. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So reality is that Protestants are really good at evangelization, uh, and like they can bring a lot of people in. Um, they bring a lot more people in. Than what is something that you think that we can learn from them, or what do we do differently? I think that uh, the like living life with people, that part of it, right, and actually like meeting people's like real needs, uh, I do think that that's a part of it, and also like just being passionate for Jesus. The other thing though is is that like within the Protestant culture, there isn't a lot of like stay people will go over but very few people stay it's more complicated than that right it's a lot more complicated and actually like a lot of them the more like deeply they live the faith the more they actually like ask questions the fish gets too big for the pond and many of them will jump denominations and a lot of them will eventually become catholic right so it's like more complicated than that but uh i i would say like one of the things that they do really well is actually like the intentionality of community and that people grow 
like this is something we really have to learn and work on. And if you look at a lot of the like 20th century movements in the church that really revitalize the church, uh, like Opus Dei, uh, Focolare, CL, uh, Legionnaires of Red Cross, like all of these different ones, like community, small communities, right? Uh, people living community life. So, and I, I think about this a lot sometimes in the church of like people receiving communion. So it's not just like unity with God, but also unity with the other people receiving communion. Like we're drawing them closer to each other, but then we like all like ignore each other, like awkwardly like acknowledge each other and go home to like our own lives. It's like, is that communion? Like are we moving towards communion? Do we understand what we're receiving? This like deeper like unity. So I, I do think one thing that they do particularly well that like we, we should learn from in some way or like regain is intentional community and like authenticity and community.